With that, I want to invite you to take your Bible. We're going to turn now our attention to the Word of God in the book of Ephesians. We're going to finish our study of chapter 4. We haven't been digging as deep as we normally would if we're preaching through a book. This is more of a a pause or segue, pausing our time in Thessalonians. We're looking at Paul's letter to the Ephesians. I'm going to read the rest of the chapter for us, which is what we'll be looking at today. Ephesians chapter four, starting in verse 17. Ephesians four, verse 17, all the way to verse 32. This is the word of our Lord. Now I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ Assuming you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Father, we're grateful for your grace and your mercy that brought us forgiveness, and it's your same grace and mercy that desires us to grow. And so we pray you give us attentive hearts, help us hear and understand your message, help me to be clear, and we pray we would individually and collectively better honor our Lord Jesus Christ. We ask for his name's sake. Amen. Uh, last Sunday, after we finished our services here, my wife and I uh, went to Gardena because I had the opportunity to fill in for a pastor friend of mine. It's a small church, they're all Spanish speaking, and I was glad to serve them. While we were there, I was introduced to a hymn that I'd never heard before. They sang it in Spanish, but I found out this week that it was originally an English hymn that had been translated. I wanted to share some of that with you. The original English version, first verse says this, in the bulb there is a flower, 
in the seed, an apple tree. In cocoons, a hidden promise. Butterflies will soon be free. In the cold and snow of winter, there's a spring that waits to be unrevealed until its season, something God alone can see. The hymn is called Hymn of Promise, and and the point of the song really comes through in the final stanza, which says this, in our end is our beginning, in our time, infinity, in our debt, excuse me, in our doubt, there is believing, in our life, eternity, in our death, a resurrection, at the last, a victory, unrevealed until its season, something God alone can see. We understand that there are elements of our faith, there are elements about our salvation that are invisible to the human eye, but one day they'll be made known. One day Christ is gonna return, like Romans 8 says, we're gonna be the recipients of of a glorious body, free from pain, free from corruption, One day, Christ will be vindicated. The world will see his victory over sin, over death. Those are things that we accept by faith. But when we talk about the transformation that Jesus makes in the lives of those who follow him, we need to make sure we don't ignore the fact that there needs to be some change in the here and now. God did not intend our transformation to be absolutely invisible to the rest of the world. We aren't what we will be one day, but we're still, according to the New Testament, a new creation in Christ. Paul doesn't say, one day you'll be a new creation. He says, you are a new creation in Christ. We are moving toward, as new creations then, we're moving toward our final destination And one of the biblical words used to describe that change that takes place in salvation is repentance. Repentance is a change of mind. It's a a decisive change of mind that produces a change of life. It, It shifts your actions and your behavior. In Matthew chapter three, we read about the ministry of John the Baptist. He went out saying to the people, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He called people to repentance and the people went out to him and they were being baptized by him and they were confessing their sins. On one of those days, however, John noticed that a group of the Jewish leaders had come. These are the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And instead of responding with joy at this newly group wanting to be baptized, John said this to them. You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Even now, he says, the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Why would John say that to them? John understood that no one can truly come to God without a humble heart that was willing to confess sin and turn from it. The Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, were coming because this was the next religious thing to do. There was no contrition, there was no humility. 
There was no true repentance. Repentance is not something we're only supposed to see in salvation. It's supposed to be a regular characteristic of the Christian life. And so Paul, as we finish our study of chapter four, in giving us a picture of the church includes a life that has to be transformed. If we belong to Jesus Christ, there will have been a change in the way we approach life, and there needs to be an ongoing commitment to that. We've already seen in chapter four, the body of Christ, the designed by God, is organized, has members serving, but as a whole, it's to be growing. It's, it's growing into Christ-likeness. And we also understand that ultimately, all growth comes from God. But that never means that we don't have a responsibility. So look with me at verse 17. Ephesians chapter four, verse 17. God speaking to us through the apostle Paul says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Walking is a common New Testament image. It speaks of your behavior, your conduct, your, your lifestyle. That's your walk. He says, don't walk like the Gentiles. So that can be used ethnically, Jews and Gentiles. This church has Gentiles. He's not using the term ethnically. He's using it to refer to unbelievers. Paul is saying, you can't live like them anymore. Stop living the life you used to live because they were formerly unbelievers. If Paul was speaking only to unbelievers here, this would be a call to salvation, a call to, to the initial repentance. But he's not doing that. He's talking to Christians. As Christians, we continually need to hear this kind of reminder. The old mindset, Paul says, is a mindset of futility. It was meaningless. It was pointless and empty. There might be small satisfactions, but, it, but as a whole, it, it, it means nothing. It's, it's vanity. It's ultimately rooted in lies rather than in the glory of God. And that might sound like a harsh way to talk about unbelief, but that is the accurate way to talk about it. This was our life before coming to the grace of God. And verse 18 drives the point even more. He's speaking of unbelievers. Verse 18, they, the Gentiles, the unbelievers, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. That's the biblical description of those who don't know God. They don't have new life. They don't have eternal life. They're dead and blind in their sins. They don't even have the capacity to truly know God. They can know things about him like the Pharisees and the Sadducees did, but they do not know him personally. They are alienated. They're, they're cut off from God. The lights haven't come on yet for them. They're ignorant of the truth, Paul says, and he says it's due to the hardness of their hearts. They don't want to know the truth. That was our life before coming to Christ. They are calloused. Their hearts are hard. What's a callous? 
It's, it's the thickening of your skin. It's the toughening of your, of your, of your skin. When I was in high school, you start lifting weights for football, and the first couple of weeks, everything turns red, and then you get a blister, and it hurts. And that's what they want. Because the blister heals, and then you have tough skin. You have a callus. You don't feel the pain. It doesn't hurt anymore. Well, that's what Paul says is happening to an unbeliever's heart. They've sinned so much, they no longer feel the pain of conviction. They might feel scared about being found out because of their job or anything else, but they don't feel grief and guilt before God because their sin has continued for too long. Verse 19, it says, they have become callous. They've given themselves up to sensuality. They're greedy to practice every kind of impurity. They continue in their pursuit of sin. Again, that was my life. That was our life before Christ turned the lights on. Sin did not bother us enough to run from it, so we just continued down that path. But the contrast comes in verse 20. Paul says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Paul's message to the church is clear. If you truly know Christ, you can't live like that anymore. Coming to Christ includes repentance. Coming to Christ is a submission to him, and that old life is incompatible with Christ. When you, when you come to Christ, something fundamentally changed. You became a new creature by the grace of God through the truth that you heard. That's what he points to in verses 20 and 21. You've, you've heard the truth. You've been taught. There's a, there's a doctrinal component to coming to Christ. No one comes to Christ just because they heard the words, Jesus loves you. No one comes to Christ just because they see people performing acts of love. Those, those things are good. They open the door to salvation, but coming to Christ has to include hearing the truth of Christ. One way or another, you were taught the truth by someone or by the word. And the same truth that we have about repentance and salvation in Christ is the truth we still need every day for sanctification, that is spiritual growth. Paul assumes, he says that to them, I'm assuming that, that you know that your life is supposed to change when you follow Christ. The question is, how does that happen? How do we continue in it? God, again, causes the growth. Like, like, like you plant a seed, you add the water. God has to bring the growth, but, but what can we do? How do we, con how do we contribute to this progress of putting sin to death? Again, verse 21, Paul says, look at what Christ already taught you. So for today, we're gonna look at focus mainly on verses 22, 23, and 24, and we get three very simple, very basic principles regarding what it means to follow Christ, but they're absolutely essential. This is our outline for today. We'll start in verse 22. What does it mean to follow Christ? What has he already taught us? Number one, just two words each point. Number one, you need to put off. Put off. Look at verse 22. He's continuing this thought. Here's what Christ has taught you. He has taught you to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life 
and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Older translations of the Bible say get rid of or put off the old man. That's not a biblical justification to get divorced in your old age to your husband. Get rid of the old man. That's not what he's saying, okay? This is talking about life before Christ. The imagery is one of taking off clothing. And it's not a jersey that you get to take off and frame somewhere to remember. This is an old shirt that needs to be thrown away. In the providence of God, this week my wife walked into the room and she said, Luis, what are you going to do with this shirt? She had just finished doing laundry and it just wasn't worth folding and putting back in the drawer each time. So I went and got a pair of scissors and we cut it up. I cut it up throw away all the scraps and it goes into my kit for shining my shoes. I'm not wearing that shirt anymore. Some of you treat your old life of sin like an old shirt you can hang on to because you might wear it once in a while. And God's message is get rid of it. Throw the old life away. Put off the old man. Don't, Don't hide it somewhere in case you need it one day. Get rid of it. That old life, the old man, the old self, he says, it belongs to your former manner of life, that meaning that's not you anymore, and it's corrupt through deceitful desires. It will destroy you. Your old life is not supposed to leave behind any souvenirs. Get rid of it. There are people who come to Christianity and the idea they get is, well, I can keep doing whatever it is I'm doing. I just come to church on Sundays and, and maybe I don't talk about my sin openly, but, but I, I add some religious rituals here and, and I'm, I'm fine. That is not Christianity. We know that the battle with sin is going to continue. Sin's not going to be eradicated until we see Christ, but we have to, in the meantime, do whatever we can to get rid of it, put off the old self. In writing to the Romans, Romans chapter 14, Paul says, make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Don't make allowances for yourself to pursue sin. And I don't know what that means specifically for each one of you, but don't ignore what God would have you do. Talk to a brother, talk to a sister, ask for their help. Maybe there are people who have phone numbers stored away. Those need to be thrown away. Maybe there are specific places you're not going to go anywhere. Maybe specific aisles in the grocery store. You're not going to go and you're not going to walk down. Whatever it is, rip it out of your life. That's Paul's principle here. Get rid of the old man. That's what it means to follow Christ. That's step one. Principle number two comes in verse 23. Principle number two is be renewed. Be renewed. So number one, put off. Number two, be renewed. Again, this is what Christ is, has already taught us, and Paul is repeating. Verse 23, we've been taught to, we, that we are to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. So important. This is commonly overlooked. People say, step one, put off, and then we'll get to step three, which is put on. But don't ignore the middle. God wants us to be renewed. He wants us to understand who he is and what he's like. He wants us to know his heart. He wants us to understand the reasoning behind the changes that he desires to see in our lives. 
God wants us to be renewed, meaning God wants us to think the way he thinks. That's what it means to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. You have to replace the lies of the world, the lies of our sin with the truth of God. Remember a college pastor saying that one of the young men in the college group said, yeah, speaking of a young girl, he said, yeah, but she's hot. And he said, yes, so is hell. (laughs) You're replacing deception with truth. If that idea sounds uh, familiar, it's because Paul talks about it again in Romans, this time in chapters 12. Do not, Romans 12, uh, 1 and 2, but he says, don't be conformed to, to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. There, there has to be a change. It's not enough to just say, I'm gonna stop sinning. You have to change the way you think. You have to renew your mind. And what is the instrument God has given us so that our minds would be renewed? The scripture. You renew your mind when you read, when you meditate on God's word. You, you renew your mind when you sit under the teaching of God's word. You, you renew your mind when you interact with brothers and sisters in the Lord who are giving you the truth in love. If you stop sinning externally only, how long is that gonna last if in your heart you still savor it? To try to put off the old man without renewing your mind is only gonna bring unnecessary frustration. You don't just get rid of the old acts, the external way of living. You need to change the way you think. The Christian life is not just about developing new habits. It's a new way of thinking. In in Isaiah chapter 55, God condemns unbelieving Israel. He says to them, my thoughts are not your thoughts. A lot of the people had held on to some sort of external religion. But they didn't think like God anymore. They didn't think the way they were supposed to think. And that's why God says to them, again, Isaiah 55, let the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. But they're supposed to be. The idolatry that you see in Israel's history is the same idolatry we, we battle against every day. We take, I think it's Rachel. She leaves her father's home and they realize she steals the idols from her dad. You're serving the living and true God. Why? You're taking the old life with you. And that happened, there are multiple examples of that in Israel's history. We do the same thing. Idolatry creeps in and what we need is put those things away and be renewed. If there's a particular sin you're struggling against, it's not just about trying harder to stop. You need to fill your mind with what God's word says about that. Why is it sin? Why is it an offense before a holy God? Why does it go against the character of God? There's such, again, a huge value in talking to brothers and sisters in the Lord because they'll help you. God wants you to start thinking differently He wants you to see things the way he sees them. Our minds are warped by sin. And we need the truth of God to reorient us. So again, principle number one, put off. Principle number two, be renewed. That's intellectual, spiritual. And now principle number three, I already mentioned it, put on. 
Following Jesus means you need to put on. This is, again, verse 24. This is what Christ has already taught us, and he continues to teach us. We need to, verse 24, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So you climb out of the filth of the old life. You train your mind to understand and to value what is true, and then you step into your new life. What does that mean practically? What does it mean to put on the new man? It means you take deliberate steps to grow into the likeness of Christ. It's not enough to simply have an idea about Christian growth. It's not enough to simply know what you're supposed to do. You have to do it. Imagine if my doctor told me, Luis, your, your blood pressure, your sugar level, your cholesterol, your triglycerides, everything is, is danger. You're in danger. You need to change something now. And, and, and I said, I'm going to do it myself. I'm not going to take medication. What would I need to do? Number one, you put off, right? You get rid of all the junk. Number two, there'd be some form of education. I got to learn about the body. I got to learn about nutrition. I maybe learn about exercise. And then number three, you have to put it into practice. All of those steps matter. If I take nutrition classes and if I start eating spinach and oatmeal every day, that's not going to help me if I still have a dozen donuts and a gallon of Coke. I have to put off the old stuff. That's the first step. The second step is, is education. I need to learn about, in this case, nutrition, exercise. If I don't learn that, I'm not going to understand the decisions I'm supposed to be making. And I may even be headed for some, some very dangerous trends. People do dangerous things, foolish things, all with a desire to be healthy and to renew my mind. I need to understand why the bad food is bad and why the good food is good. This, this will help me. But lastly, I can't ignore putting the good into practice. Even if I cut out junk food, even if I learn everything I can about the body and exercise, unless I take deliberate steps toward exercising or eating healthy, I'm not going to make healthy improvements. I can't just stop eating. I can't just watch YouTube exercise videos all day and think that's going to help me. I got to do something. That's the third principle. Put on the new man. What's the new man? It's the new you. Who is the new you? It's not what the world says the new you. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. This new man, Paul says, verse 24, is made in the likeness of God. This new man is the restoration of the original man. Adam and Eve were made in the image of God. They were made as image bearers of God, but because of sin, they did not fulfill their responsibility to glorify God, to, to represent him in the world. But Christ came, and he is the likeness of God. He is the image of God, and he restores us. I need to take deliberate steps to practice his holiness, his love, his righteousness, because all that now dwells within me by his spirit. It's just encased in what Paul calls a body of death. Think about children, babies, toddlers. They don't wake up one day and say, you know what? It's time for me to walk. Today I'm walking. They don't do that, right? 
they, they, it's a process. They, they, they start crawling. They start cruising. Mom and dad, they, they take a couple steps at a time, but eventually they get it and they start walking. It, it's a process. The same thing is the case for our spiritual life. You're not going to wake up one day and magically say, you know what? I'm holier today. I don't feel like sinning. I just want to honor God in everything that I do. It's not going to happen like that. You have to take deliberate steps. Let me share with you some, some examples of this, this, this putting off and putting on. Very practical, but also very biblical because that is exactly what Paul does at the end of this chapter. He gives us specific examples of what it means to put off and put on. Look at verse 25. I'm gonna read all the way to the end of the chapter, but you're gonna see, get rid of something, change the way you think, and put something on. Verse 25, it says, therefore, understanding these principles, understanding this is what Christ taught us, therefore, having put away falsehood, that's put off, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, that's put on. And then he gives a reason for it. For we are members one of another. That's part of renewing your mind. He's not just saying tell the truth. He's saying tell the truth because we're, we're family. We're one in Christ. So there's a put off element. There's a renewal of the mind. And then there's a putting on. Continuing, he says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. That changes the way you think about anger. It's not just an expression of, of my emotions. It's It's dangerous. It's an opening for the devil to work in th- through my life. Continuing, he says, let the thief no longer steal. That's verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up as as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. According to this passage, when does a liar stop being a liar? It's not when he stops talking. It's when he starts telling the truth. When does a thief stop being a thief? It's not when he stops stealing, not in this passage. It's when he begins to work with his own hands and generously share with others. He does the opposite. And Paul takes the opposite of the sins that he lists and he turns it into the positive. He's replacing the old man with the new man. We, we are to replace lies with truth. Instead of giving in to our anger, we are to demonstrate self-control and address the issue in a productive way. We replace stealing with generosity and self-sacrifice. Instead of words that tear down and corrupt, we say things that build up because edification is the opposite of corruption. And in the closing verses, we see that instead of those things that produce discord and enmity in our relationships, we're to pursue the things that heal 
and strengthen our relationships, and that's love and forgiveness. Like so much of what we read in the Bible, this is not complicated. But because of indwelling and remaining sin, the difficulty is to put it into practice. Put off, be renewed, and put on. That's how you grow. The same truths that brought us salvation and spiritual life are the truths that bring sanctification and spiritual growth. This is what repentance looks like. And this is our responsibility before the Lord with regard to our spiritual maturity. Stop living life the way you used to. Stop thinking sin is compatible with Jesus Christ. Stop assuming that sin is not going to impede and inhibit and hinder your spiritual maturity. Instead, think about the deliberate steps you can take to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. What can I do here today to look more like Jesus? Whatever that means, in my job, with my wife, with my family, with my neighbors, how do I look more like Jesus? Think about that, and then you have to do something. I mean, we know this in the body, right? If you want to have bigger biceps, you're not running marathons every day. You're going to focus on that. If you want to have cardiovascular endurance, you're not going to max out your bench press every day. Think about your own life. What are those specific areas in my life that I need to address? What do I need to put off? What can I study in the word of God so that my mind is renewed? And what do I need to put on? If you're really serious about it, talk to a brother in the Lord, talk to a sister in the Lord, encourage one another. In our desire to honor Christ and our desire to grow to be like him, I just want to give you one important reminder. And that is that the gospel of Jesus promises us that salvation cannot be earned and that is not maintained by our practical holiness. You have to, you have to remember that. Otherwise, you, you bend into legalism. This is, this is how I become a Christian. This is how I maintain my salvation. That's not the gospel. Don't forget that. Those who have trusted in Jesus Christ are accepted by God fully on the basis of Christ's righteousness, Christ's death, Christ's resurrection and ascension. You're not earning your way to heaven by doing this. You're not trying to move up the scale of, of, of Christians. We're all at the same level. What we're doing is our best to, to showcase for the glory of God that we are a new creation. We are letting our light shine so please don't hear this message or look at this, the end of Ephesians 4 and think, you know, I need to get my life in order and then I can be a Christian. That's not the message of Christ. The message of Christ is that he died for sinners. He was raised from the dead in glory. And one day Christ will return to save his own and judge the world. And if you will humble yourself before the resurrected king, and if you will call out to him for mercy He'll save you. He'll show you mercy. But we need to know that calling out to Jesus means you're willing to lay down your old life and surrender to the king. That's true repentance. 
None of us is gonna be perfect in this life. All of us are gonna be battling against our sin, pursuing holiness until we see Christ. But we're called to do it one step at a time. We're called to do it alongside our brothers and sisters. And we trust in Christ that he'll be working in us. Wherever you are, as a non-believer or as a, a Christian, wherever you think you are on the scale of sanctification, if you call out to Jesus, no matter how calloused you might be, no matter how far you think you are from God, he will save you. And there will be a church here ready to help you and invite you as part of the family of God and walk with you in this journey. The children of God get a new heart. The children of God get a new family. And then together, we showcase the love and the holiness of Jesus Christ. You can come talk to me. You can talk to any other member in our church about it. We'd love to talk to you about that. Because we're here to proclaim Christ and to honor him with the way that we live. Let's respond to the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for what you have done. We couldn't do it ourselves. Your word tells us without, with man, salvation is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. You opened our eyes to the beauty of Christ. You opened our eyes to the ugliness of our own sin. And you told us that there is salvation fully and only in Christ Jesus. We thank you for turning us toward a new life. We thank you for the transformation you've already begun in our life, in our hearts. We look forward to the final day when the transformation will be complete bodily, physically, the world will be remade and all those who rebel against you will be cast away. Father, we pray you would mercifully bring more people to know you. And in walking with Christ, help us, Lord, put off those things. Bring to our mind those specific steps we can take. Use brothers and sisters in the Lord. Use our church body so we would turn one another to the truth and, and, and think about things and see things the way you see them rather than the corrupted way, the perverted way that we see things because of our sin. Father, we pray you would help us wash away the message of the culture with the greater message of your eternal truth. Help us put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And may we as a church family shine more brightly as lights in a dark world. We ask for the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.